This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... And I think that's intentional. I think that that uh, all sides are trying to limit the amount of outside influence and interference that that might happen. That's Cameron Hudson, senior associate at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, on the reasons for the secrecy of Ethiopia Tigray peace talks. Details coming up also. Internet services are shut down today in Sudan as protesters mark a year since a coup. And policymakers from around the world discuss Africa's most pressing security challenges. We have these stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. South Africa's presidential spokesman says the first round of peace talks in Ethiopia's Tigray region have begun. Few other details have been released, and so far there has been no media access to the venue at an unknown location in South Africa. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. South African presidential spokesman Vincent Maguena told reporters on Tuesday that the talks, which had previously been delayed, were underway. The peace talks which have been convened to find a peaceful and sustainable solution to the devastating conflict in the Tigray region started today, the 25th of October, and will end on the 30th of October. Word of the discussions comes after the Ethiopian government side and the leadership of the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, confirmed they had left for South Africa on Monday. The talks are being led by former Nigerian leader and the African Union's Horn of Africa envoy, Alusigan Abasanjo, along with South Africa's former deputy president, Pumzili Mlamo Nkuka, and Kenya's former president, Yohuru Kenyatta. The African Union Commission said in a statement that representatives of the United Nations and the United States government were participating as observers. AU Commission Chairman Musa Faki Matmad said he was encouraged by the early demonstration of commitment to peace by the parties and to seek a lasting political solution to the conflict in the supreme interest of Ethiopia. The statement added, the chairperson reiterates the AU's continued commitment to support the parties in an Ethiopian-owned and AU-led process to silence the guns towards a united, stable, peaceful and resilient Ethiopia. Fighting in Tigray has intensified over the past week, with the Ethiopian government aiming to seize the region's airports and other infrastructure. The government said Monday its forces had continued taking control of major urban centers in the past few days. Tens of thousands of people have been killed and millions more displaced since the Tigray conflict broke out in November 2020. The TPLF dominated Ethiopian politics for decades before being sidelined when Prime Minister Abe Ahmed took office in 2018. Abe was initially seen as a peacemaker after settling Ethiopia's long-running conflict with neighboring Eritrea. That image, however, has been shattered by the war in Tigray, and human rights groups have accused both sides of atrocities. The United States and European Union have both expressed hope the peace talks in South Africa will be successful. Kate Bartlett, VOA News, Johannesburg. 
An African scholar says Africa should not expect much from the new British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Sunak, a Briton of Asian descent, emerged as the new leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister when Liz Truss resigned after just 44 days in office. The scholar says Sunak will be more preoccupied with solving domestic problems than paying attention to a particular region of the world. Chris Isiki is the president of African Association of Political Scientists. He is also a professor of African Affairs at the University of South Africa, Pretoria. Isiki spoke to reporter Mike Mbonye about the emergence of Sunak. He says Sunak may run an open government with people from different backgrounds, as Truss did. These are interesting times for British politics, um, not just for the moment, but um, challenging times ahead as well. Yes, it is correct that um, Rishi Sunak is the um, new British Prime Minister and leader of the Creative Party, uh, first non-British citizen to be um, uh, Prime Minister. He is the first British Prime Minister of Asian heritage. Um, he is also um, the youngest prime minister um, uh, in modern times um, at 42. So it's a lot of first. He's he's um, actually um, going to be a bit different. But I, I did say that it's going to be challenging times ahead as well because um, um, at the bottom of of you know um, this election, and this was the reason why he wasn't elected as prime minister ahead of this trust in September. Um, is the whole notion of 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 of, of you know uh, racism? We are going to be seeing uh, an Obama the, the kind of experiences Obama had in 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 the U.S. Uh, Rishi Sunak is going to now replicate in the U.K. There are going to be members of the Conservative Party and even including uh, the, the voting public that will question his Britishness. They will question how loyal he is to the country. And, uh, you know, more people are going to call for elections because there's also the challenge of whether he actually, uh, you know, got a vote from the British public to become their prime minister. Um, and, and you're going to have more Tory members, Conservative Party members pushing for elections. And I would not be surprised if, if when those elections come, they would not vote for the Labour Party just to have a so-called uh, uh, proper British white prime minister rather than um, one from, from Asia. So these are the challenges that it's going to face. Otherwise, um, there are also going to be issues around how it would handle the um, the economy. So uh, I'm not saying he's not competent. He's very competent to be able to handle the economy properly, uh, but those will form part of the challenge uh, the challenges that he would face. Being an Asian descent, do you think Africa will benefit from the Sunak's administration as a British Prime Minister? Well, I don't think that we should expect that Africa would benefit simply because, um, you know, you, you have someone from Asia. He's, he's from Asia. I would not even think that Asia would expect to, to benefit. These kinds of assumptions we make about where people come from and whether they'll be loyal to their, you know, um, or, uh, places of origin is part of why, you know, the host countries that, uh, you know, they become part of fear that these people are, and wonder whether these, these, these people are loyal or not. Um, I don't think that Africa is going to simply benefit, you know, as a result of that. Perhaps um, they would be, the government would be open. Uh, I remember that even Liz Truss herself had a number of Africans, about two or three of them, uh, in her cabinet. I wouldn't be surprised if 
um, Sunak does the same. He has handed out a, a warning to the Tory party to either unite or die. And I think that he, he also said he will be focused on, 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 on the issues, you know, dealing with, 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 with issues rather than um, uh, personalities uh, that has, you know, uh, been part of the problem of the British, of British politics, especially around the Conservative Party. So uh, I expect him to be open, to be modern, uh, to be inclusive, but that does not mean that um, he would have a particular focus for um, Asia or India, for that matter, talk less of Africa. I think this item will stop having those kinds of expectations. That was Chris Isiki, Professor of African Affairs at the University of South Africa, speaking from Pretoria with reporter Mike Mbonnier. Chad's military leader blames the organizers of demonstrations against his rule for the deaths of civilian protesters. The Associated Press says that in a live broadcast yesterday, interim leader Mohammed Idris Debi said opponents have shown in his words the will to start a civil war. His comments follow the use of live ammunition last week against protesters in the capital in Jamina and in the country's second largest city, Mondu. The demonstrations took place on Thursday, the date when the military originally promised to hand over power to civilian rule. Officials told the news service that 62 people were killed, including members of the security forces. The opposition puts the figure at more than 70 dead. Human rights groups say the protesters were unarmed. The World Organization Against Torture says authorities used summary execution and torture against the protesters, some of whom were pulled from the Chari River in the capital. The French news agency AFP says the organization is calling for the UN to conduct an urgent inquiry. Debbie, who took power two years ago after the death of his father, accused the opposition of recruiting terrorists and paramilitary groups to promote an insurrection and carry out gratuitous mass murders. The opposition denies the charges and says it's the government that's trying to create a civil war. Africa's leading tourism operators are meeting in Botswana for talks on reviving the industry after the damage caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Intra-African travel is at the top of the agenda at the three-day meeting, which has attracted more than 450 delegates from 43 countries. Mokandisi Dube reports from the Africa Tourism Leadership Forum in Habrone, Botswana. Botswana's President Mukwezi Masisi on Tuesday told Africa's tourism leaders they need to focus on ways to encourage travel to and within the continent. He gave the keynote speech at the Africa Tourism Leadership Forum in Khaboronim. This vital forum will undoubtedly provide travel and tourism industry in Africa and indeed the rest of the world with a platform for exchanging ideas aimed at promoting travel to and around Africa. Tourism is a dynamic and competitive industry that requires the ability to constantly adapt to customers' changing needs and desires as the customer satisfaction, safety, and enjoyment are the focus of tourism businesses. Masisi said tourism was showing signs of recovery 
after the devastating COVID-19 pandemic, which brought most vacation travel to a halt for about two years. The president noted most African countries have eased pandemic restrictions, making it easier and more comfortable for travelers to visit. The sector is beginning to rebound in 2022 due to more relaxed travel restrictions and a well-thought-out strategy which saw growth of the domestic market and recovery of the regional and international market. The three-day forum brings together more than 450 delegates in African tourism from 43 countries across the continent. While much of Africa looks to foreign tourism dollars, Botswana's tourism minister Phil Dakering says intra-African travel was a top focus of the forum to help rebuild the industry. They are coming out of COVID-19 with the enthusiasm, wanting to rebuild better together, wanting to rebuild a resilient tourism sector that is going to build and make the economies of our countries bounce back better and they're coming with new ideas they are coming bubbling with the energy they want to energize government they want to energize every key stakeholder and player to a better way of doing business within the tourism sector but poor roads and limited flights in parts of africa too often force travel to a regional hub or even outside the continent for connecting flights to neighboring countries african tourism insiders say they are major hurdles to intra-african travel Kwake Donko is Chief Executive of Africa Tourism Partners, a pan-African tourism development marketing and advisor firm. One of the challenges that we face on this continent is visas for ourselves as Africans from country A to country B. And the second issue that we have is connectivity. Coming to Botswana, some of them will have to travel across different places, different countries to get here. And not only that, the private sector has got a role to play the cost of travel to drive this particular initiative. German market and consumer data company Statista says COVID-19 cost Africa's tourism sector $87 billion when the pandemic hit in 2020. But there are signs of a strong revival. The United Nations World Tourism Organization says in 2022, international arrivals across Africa were up 171%. Mkondi Sidube for VOA News, Khaboroni, Botswana. Uganda has confirmed at least 14 cases of Ebola in the greater Kampala region in the past 48 hours, and the country's health minister sought to assure residents that the situation in the capital was under control. The death toll across the country has climbed to 44 since the Ebola outbreak was declared a month ago, according to World Health Organization figures issued last week. Uganda's health ministry, meanwhile, says there have been 90 confirmed cases overall and 28 deaths. President Yaware Museveni earlier this month ordered Kasanda and Mubendi, the epicenter of the outbreak, to be put under lockdown, imposing a travel ban, a curfew, and the closure of public places. There are no such restrictions in Kampala. Reporter Catherine Nambi spoke with people in the capital about the outbreak. This man, who identified himself only as Jimmy, wants the government to give more information about preventative measures. What I only heard that, that we have to put on a mask. That is that the simple or the only thing that we can use to control Ebola? And another thing was to separate what? Unfair gathers with the people. Now, here how can we come into fear of gathering? When, when people are already here in, in, congest, in congested areas, 
that one may not be possible unless there's another another means that may be come forward mm, i just tend to rely on the government for the control of ebola but to me i can use the, this mask at the same time but any other thing apart from that if it is there let the government tell me this is not the first time for ebola how has the government been controlling ebola for the for the, for, for the back years compared to what is of now a man who gave his name as Wandera Jackson worries Kampala isn't prepared for a wider outbreak. There's no Ugandan who is prepared, who is prepared for the disease. Because when you want to get prepared for that disease, you have to isolate yourself from other people. You sit at home. Now you sit at home, no food, no what. You have to be forced to sit at home. If you don't want to go in the community, why you can get affected, you have to sit at home. Now that one, for us Ugandans, we are not prepared for that one because you sit in the house and die hungry. The, 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 the way that this is affects somebody, there's nobody who is prepared for it. Yeah. Some people have doubts about how the outbreak is being handled. This man did not want to give his name, but he thinks some companies are making money on the outbreak by not supplying needed goods. And he fears a lockdown similar to the one imposed early in the COVID-19 pandemic. So this time is another opportunity for them to make money. Otherwise, these health workers wouldn't be dying. No protective gear for them. They are, they are getting money to fight it and not delivering to the frontline workers. They are just money making. That is it. Really, it will be very bad if we go for another lockdown. Because it is, will be devastating if you put Kampala, Kampala Metropolitan under, under another lockdown. It's very bad, given the financial situation among the residents here. Ebola is spread through bodily fluids and is frequently deadly if not treated quickly. It is controlled by tracing contacts of patients and quarantining people who have been exposed to the virus. The strain circulating in Uganda is known as Sudan Ebola, for which no vaccine currently exists. However, vaccine maker Merrick and Company says it is sending an experimental new version of its Ebola vaccine to Uganda for trials. Also, the World Health Organization is preparing trials in Uganda of antiviral and antibody drugs the United States has donated to treat patients. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big business is watching and ready to support. Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West and Southern Africa. The Voice of America 
interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. My name is Magnana Ade, 29 years of age. I'm currently one of the co-founders and CEO of Shopper, a B2B e-commerce business here in Africa. Part of the reason why we applied to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, African Business Unit is for us to get the needed support and the needed resources we need to be able to digitize the informal retail space here in Africa. Being part of the top 10 is the validation that we need. It gives us the confidence to be able to convince ourselves that we are actually onto something big and we can't wait to be able to see the change we want to see in the industry. Shopper is digitizing the informal retail space here in Africa by connecting manufacturers of fast-moving consumer goods to informal retailers through our micro-distribution centers. So Shopper's platform allows these retailers to be able to, one, source inventory directly from manufacturers or suppliers through our micro-distribution centers and have it delivered to their shop within four hours. They also get to access credit facility on our platform in a form of working capital financing to be able to grow their business and also other financial services such as insurance, an example would be when we launched our business in 2020, uh, one retailer, prior to the introduction of our credit, used to place an order on average between $11 on a weekly basis. But after we introduced our credits over time, she's been able to move from $11 on a weekly basis to now $150 in terms of other size. Now, this is the growth we want to see on the lives of these informal retailers by moving from a small shop to a medium shop. Winning this challenge is going to be a game changer for us because we are going to have access to the right resources, the right mentorship, and the right partners to be able to grow our business. Winning this challenge is going to ensure that we have enough resources to be able to escalate the credit offering and also be able to escalate our credit offerings by expanding to new areas and also tapping into the expertise the U.S. Chamber of Commerce would make available to us for us to be able to build a solution we want to build. That was Frank Nana Ade from Ghana. His company, Shopa, is a business-to-business e-commerce system that provides financial services to small informal grocery shops. It helps them get access to supplies and manufacturers. The company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups, organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Zainab Abdullah-Rahman, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. 
or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voa or on Twitter at voa. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday 